You're going to have to take that towel off your head. If not, this isn't going to work. Hello, I'm Martina Sandvik. Welcome to the Larparati podcast, broadcast to you from the liminal space that can be found in the corner of the magic circle. Voices today originate from Oslo, Norway and London, England. My co-host is Simon Brind. Hello. We are joined today by Hilda Levine, a Swedish LARPer living in Norway. Hi. With her master's in dramaturgy, she now works both with storytelling in the theatre and with teaching young playwrights. We'll be talking about her recent work and discussing meta-reflection, immersion and theatre. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. First, I built on sand. Then I built on rock. When the rock caved in, I no longer built on anything. After more than a hundred years of supply of aggregates, Pembleton's House of Sand will be closing its doors for the final time on May the 1st. We would like to thank our customers for their support with a final shipment of the rarest sand, handpicked from the desert of dreams, for your timers, for your sleepy eyes, and for the ultimate sandbox experience. Pembleton's, the lone and level sands stretch far away. So Hilda, how did you discover LARP? I discovered it in a magazine when I was 14 through a friend who said we should do this because we read loads and loads of fantasy books. And then I lived uh, on Gotland, which is an island in the Baltic Sea, with plenty of LARPers one week a year at Meltisveckan, but non-LARP-related activities during the rest of the year. But luckily, my friend had very supportive parents who decided to travel with us so that we could LARP. So what was your first LARP? It was very, like, beginner's LARP called Arvet efter det onda. <laughs> it was by uh, this organization that mainly does LARPs for beginners, which has since been criticized, but it was really high fantasy, so I loved it. You've written about meta-reflection. Can you tell us what that is and how it works? Meta-reflection is a way to view LARP as something that takes place in several layers of cognition. It's an ability that allows us to LARP at all, because to LARP, we use real bodies uh, and real environments, which we see through fiction. So already we have two layers while LARPing, the reality which we are using and the fiction that we see the reality through. So meta-reflection is when we zoom out uh, to see reality together with the fiction so that we can compare the two uh, and use that constructively. For example, let the real life influence our choices in the LARP or let the LARP influence our real life. So is that something everyone instinctively does all the time or is it more of a learned skill? I think it's a bit of both. It's a skill that everyone that LARPs has because otherwise it's impossible to LARP. If I don't see uh, your character but only see Martina, there would be no LARP between us. So I have the ability to put this layer upon my surroundings and then I also have the ability to zoom in and out of that layer. But I think we differ a bit in how much we use it and how much we like to use it and how easy it is for us to jump between the extremes of focusing on fiction and focusing on zooming out. So you've suggested that these meta-reflexive techniques can refine storytelling. Can you unpack that for us? Can you start by giving us a definition? What do you mean by storytelling in LARP? Uh, LARPs are very uh, complex when it comes to storytelling because like in books or in movies, you would have one storyline that everybody follows. But LARPs are very pluralistic, so that you have several stories. 
for one for every larper uh, or yeah one for every character but in at the same time you will probably have a better larp if they uh, correspond enough with each other so that they can enhance each other how can meta reflection aid the storytelling process so <laughs> to refine storytelling would be to me the same as to refine the work to find uh, different ways to deepen the kind of work you want to do and to make it more precise. And I, I want to always be very clear when I talk about meta-reflection that I don't think that the best LARPs are those who use the most meta-reflexive tools. I think that there can be great LARPs that where you immerse for uh, long periods of time and focus only on the fiction. And there can be great LARPs where you switch a lot between meta-reflecting and focusing on the fiction. So what I mean by refining the storytelling is that we can open up the possibilities that the layers of wrapping have so that we have more tools to choose from to do what we try to do with the specific work. LARPs and theatre work over time and so in that aspect the storytelling is what happens from the start to finish uh, and different works that can be different levels of abstract. So you can have, I would call any durational work, it would have a, a kind of story but it can be very abstract or it can be very concrete and realistic. So is is meta-reflecting something that individual players do, or is it something that organizers can like put into their LARPs? How would you workshop that? Great question. It's both, because since we put on these interpretations of uh, reality and fiction to LARP, the player can always steer themselves to different modes of playing. They can choose to reflect upon the situation they're in and think about wait, what does this mean for my character's life in 20 years, <laughs> if they want to? Or they can just be in that second and be like, oh, I'm so angry at my dad. But at the same time, this is something that the science can request or uh, increase in different ways. And if you uh, look at the article that is in the book, uh, What Do We Do When We Play? There's also a list of different ways that designers can try to encourage meta-reflections. For example, if you have act breaks, that will usually encourage players to reflect upon what they want to do in the next act, how they want to change their game, what that will do to their character and other characters. And in that way, they can have a shared meta-reflective space encouraged by the designers. Or you can have also during the game ways for the players to, to meta-reflect, to, for example, stop the flow of the play to have a monologue or a comment. In the Androids games that Atropos Studio makes, they had something like the bus stop where you, like one area of the city where you would go to travel to other areas and then you could talk out your your characters like inner monologue and what they were doing or thinking or where they were in the space. Is that meta reflection? Yeah, that's one of yeah. my examples. Yeah, actually. <laughs> so uh, definitely that's a space that the designers put in there for the players to have that opportunity uh, to take a second to think about where they're going and why. And the players can, of course, think that it's annoying and not like it that it's there. So maybe it doesn't work meta-reflectively for the individual. But it's it can also be a help for the people to take that time that otherwise maybe they would just continue on. And that second or minutes can help them to, to get new ideas that they otherwise wouldn't have. Yeah, because like, I think when I first started LARPing, I probably did meta-reflect, right? I, I would instinctively enjoy going off on my own being my character and trying to think what does this mean for me but but in my head I wasn't really meta reflecting I was 
immersing in the character, if you know what I mean, yeah. just alone. And I think I've, I've definitely gotten better at steering and I've definitely gotten better at, at being conscious about what I'm doing when I'm playing with practice. But I wonder, is it a learned skill or is it just like, no, go play and it'll come? I think it's really individual how it works for a person uh, playing. But I do think that we learn a bit more how it works and it is easier for us to switch between modes. Like if I've done several black box LARPs with meta techniques, it's easier for me to just go in and use them and go back into the game again. But I also think that regardless of training, it's highly individual what works well for you. For some people, like or for anyone, immersion is a quite organic process as well, where your emotions and your interpretations work together. And some for some people, uh, it's hard to immerse properly if you are interrupted all the time. And for others, it's easy to switch between and it can be highly enhancing to have uh, reflections from your own life leading into the character and vice versa. So I, I think like what was optimal for your personal drop experience will always differ a bit, but you can learn to jump between modes more easily when you get used to them. But that's also what I think other texts on this subject encourages to not always jump all the time, but to, uh, for example, as Bayman Hamning and Bayman Hamning writes, to swim and dive or, or to breathe and dive. So you have periods of diving and periods of breathing rather than always being on the surface. But the thing that you describe also, Martina, when you find that your meta-reflections were immersive to you, I, I don't think that's a contradiction. That's also what I think that this framework is great at eliminating. That there's, okay, you have reality uh, that you're playing in and you have fiction that you put upon it. But meta-reflecting is not necessarily stepping out of the fiction, but rather zooming out on it. So uh, because you have very different rooms, if you have to stop the game because you're uncomfortable or if you stop it to comment upon it with a monologue. It's a very different aspect of being off game and reflecting upon the game where the fiction is still active in a way. I'd like to come back and talk about immersion some more shortly but there's one other question while we're in this zoomed out mixed mode I suppose dual consciousness looking at the fiction and the awareness of fiction at the same time. In in your model in the article, there's this, this idea of, of narrative belonging to the real world, which I love. But my challenge here is, is, is a LARPA uh, a reliable narrator? Mm, can you develop a bit? Because- so in, in terms of narratology, you can read a text and the narrator is talking to you, but that narrator may be a part of the fiction. Uh, the the opening line of Pride and Prejudice, it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man of some fortune must be in want of a wife, is the opinion of Mrs. Bennett, not of Jane Austen. It, it's intrinsically an unreliable statement. And I wonder if an, an immersed LARPA zooming out and going, well, here's, here's the fiction, here's the narrative. Is that narrative reliable or is it uh, informed and affected by their immersed diegetic experience? I think that's very hard to answer definitively, but I think like what I get from it is that, of course, that will be, it will never be an objective narrative. It will be that narrative that, from that point of view of that player. And with narrative contexts, I also, I when I put it in that circle, I also meant that it's about other narratives that we hear, for example, so that we can see 
Oh wait, this cliche, I don't want to play that out again. <laughs> this was just the 11th movie that I saw on this subject. Let's do something else. So it's not only about the narrative from the perspective of the player, but it's also the narratives that this player carries with them from other mediums. Shall we move on to talk about immersion? So let, let's start with how would you describe immersion? I'm leaning a bit to Sarah Bowman's definition. But it's uh, a state of flow where we uh, engage organically and emotionally with the LARP. But in my model, it's it's mostly understood to also to allow it to live its own life with its own theories. Uh, in the model, it's more defined as a way to focus. So when we step into a LARP, as we already covered, we know that there's a reality there and we see it through a fictional layer. And then immersing into the fiction would then be to focus on the fiction and try to be as little annoyed as possible by the reality that does not fit. So a satisfying immersion then is a satisfying blend between fiction and uh, reality. Do actors immerse in their roles when they play theatre in the same way LARPers do? I think uh, yes and no. Uh, In a way, I think... You need to immerse to an extent to be believable because you have to live it every night uh, when you do the show. But you can't immerse as a LARPer does and improvise in the same extent because you have a script that you're supposed to follow and the director has said you should do this and then you do that every night. So it's a different kind of immersion where things are scripted in another way and you have control in another way. So maybe then you use immersion more to make that same thing come alive again and again, (laughs) more than... Uh, as a way to to experiment. Otherwise, I think that the biggest difference uh, to me between the art forms is that if I play as an actor, uh, I do immerse and I do feel the feelings of the character, but I do it to uh, move you, the audience. So if I feel a lot, but I don't express it, it's pointless in theatre. The point is that I feel it so that you can feel it. While at at a LARP, the biggest point is for me to have an immersive experience with my character, and then I will express it so that we can have it collaboratively and together. But even if I then walk in the forest with my character as myself and nobody sees me, I can have a great LARP experience. But that would probably be a not-so-good theatre experience for the audience. It ties back to something that Jamie said in an earlier issue of the of the podcast, that the, the closest experience to LARPing that the actor has is during rehearsals. Yeah, definitely. Because in rehearsals, you're looking for those points where you, uh, where you understand the character and where you can see where they're coming from emotionally. And you try to map out a way where the script becomes believable uh, and moving to the audience. And then you use yourself uh, and your imagination and emotions to find that. So definitely, I think that rehearsal and workshops for actors can be like more than actual performances so you talk about the myth of total immersion and i'd like to play with that idea if that's okay yeah uh do you think there are times when deeply immersed participants for example those who are experiencing what mo turkington describes as the possessing force are in too deep to the fantasy to be able to steer or indeed to meta reflect as i understand it uh Seeing only the fiction is a matter of attention. And thereby, if you are so into the fiction that you don't pay attention to any uh, part of reality, uh, you can then also be uh, criticized for being inattentive. (laughs) 
I don't think that is something that just happens to you and that you're a victim to. Uh, for example, if regardless of how 360 design a LARP is and how immersed I am, I, I will always, some part of me will always know that a knife is a real knife. Even if I play Miss Julie and I'm suicidal, I will know that it's a real knife. So, yeah, I think that it's a myth that is, and I want to, <laughs> why I, I put it forward too as a myth is that I think that it's a big part of how LARP has been misunderstood historically, where they think that LARP is dangerous because you will be taken by your character in some way or like manipulated by this fiction. But if you are seeing this fiction willingly, it's not really a manipulation by somebody else. It might be a manipulation by yourself. So I think that takes away a bit of fear. And also I think that many designs have been encumbered by chasing this myth and then selling out things like safety or other interesting ways that we could play together. And I think that the LARPing community has in many ways overcome this, at least in the LARPs I go to. We don't have a problem with taking breaks or having calibration safety techniques or things like that. But I know that the immersive theater that is younger in drawing big audiences and that has also then hyped this immersive experience and how everything is as real, they are still chasing this myth in a way that sometimes becomes dangerous or they don't acknowledge, for example, where audiences want to stop playing because they're uncomfortable or the actual grew, gruesome happenings where they have had actually locked doors in escape rooms, for example. I think that knife example is really useful as someone who does believe in the myth of total immersion. That argument goes a very strong way to persuade me that I'm wrong. I think like, regardless of how mad you would be at a character in the LARP, it would be inexcusable if you pushed them down the stairs. And, and I think that that line in the, in the sand is a very useful one for explaining it. There, there, is, there are some epidemiological studies that suggest that some level of non-pathological disassociative experience is a normal phenomenon, particularly for people sort of involved in um, imagination or who are prone to fantasy. There is, I believe, a way to hyper-focus on the fiction, to use your terms, to the point at which you would need something like that's a real knife warning signal to come in almost from the outside to go, oh, yes, we're not going to go there. We will now steer away from it. Of course, you can't always choose how moved you become when you engage in fiction. Like sometimes you will be really, really moved and overwhelmed emotionally. That can happen, but it doesn't necessarily, that won't necessarily force you to be swept away by the game. You can be overwhelmed and say, oh, I'm sorry, I need to take a break now <laughs> and go cry about whatever hit you, you know, uh, instead of pushing that other player and hurting them. Or indeed, you can choose, and I think this is the, the key point, you can choose not to take a break and to, to roll with that emotion. Yeah, because I, what, I, I, yeah, what I think the misunderstanding is like, but when something happens to me that I didn't plan, how can that be if I'm... In control of these layers but being able to distinguish what's real and what's fiction is not necessarily the same thing as being able to always know what you will feel. I think I'm always 
kind of chasing or wanting to dive down really deep and just stay under holding my breath for as long as possible and then only like gasping up like <gasps> and then back down but I would always recognize a knife as a knife yeah but <laughs> so, yeah I'm, I'm convinced <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and as a player myself I I also love to just see where the character takes me and be surprised by whoa I didn't know that my emotions would make me choose to do this what does this mean and that's like th that organic part is really really interesting but as as so someone in theater and media studies i also really love playing with form uh, and this is also where my interest in metroflexivity comes from that i think that there are so many aspects to play that can be fun to play with i think that that moves so nicely into our, our third part of questions unless uh, you want to yeah it does. i want to yeah, i want to squeeze a bleed one in there as well because okay. you you talked about the organic nature of this experience to what extent do you think that bleed particularly in terms of emotional bleeding can have an effect on meta reflection and the ability to meta reflect I think that meta-reflection is crucial for the experience to exist at all. That Because it is this doubleness of reality and fiction that makes it emotionally potent as well. Because when we uh, play with fiction, for the fiction to move us, it usually uh, has some way of touching upon our own lives, or at least our understanding of the world. Uh, and that is when we become moved by any fiction, a book or a movie or It's by being able to mirror ourselves in it or something we, we've seen about the world or other people. And so I think that metroflection is crucial to being moved by LARP and to bleed as well. And to understand our bleed, to see, wait, I have all these feelings. What of them come from what my character went through and what of them come from my own life or from my feelings about my character and like empathy uh, with them? So it can also be a way afterwards to to sort out <laughs> what your bleed actually is. Do you have any like tools or tips for how to sort through your bleed after a game? Not as a researcher, no. <laughs> no. But for myself, writing, singing, just engaging with the feelings as myself. This is also why I want to go against the myth of immersion, because I think that we try to put reality as opposed to fiction and making immersion be about believing in the fiction as much as possible. But part of what makes it enjoyable as an experience is that we know that it's fiction. And part of what makes us bleed into it and be open to being emotionally vulnerable uh, and just going with the flow is also that we know that it's fiction. And this, not, this is not specific for LARP, but it's quite different to live something and read it in a book. And it's quite different to what kind of movies we like to watch and what we like to enjoy in our real life. Uh, and I think this also goes for LARP. We enjoy them because it's fiction. To try to make it so believable so that it would cease to be fiction but become reality, I, I don't think that's the way to go, to have a great experience. But it is an embodied fiction, and, and as such, we are closer to it. And I think, for, for me, this is where the, the immersion question comes in. Yeah. I, I, am, I am feeling something. I am breathing something. All of my senses are engaged in the fiction, And particularly at times under pressure, it gets harder to differentiate. And I think for some of us, the dissonance of having to differentiate between fiction and reality is very jarring. Having to, uh, becoming aware that I am immersed breaks immersion 
It is an ironic problem, but a problem nonetheless. One of the things I really like about your description of meta-reflection is, is that it isn't a drop character, think about it. it. It is that zooming out concept, I think, is very exciting and useful. When you say that you find it jarring when you are reminded that you are immersing, I think that you also prove my point a bit that it's not just something that happens to you, but it's something that you're working on withholding and upholding. So actually, when annoyances come in, they are disturbing you in your work to immerse. But it is it's actually something that you work on to do. But since it's also organically, it's, it's then extra annoying because you're not in total control of whether you immerse or not, you try to help yourself immerse. And then these things come in that make you lose it. It's, it's a grip that you try to have, but rather than being in threat of immersing and never being able to get out, the threat is that it's hard to uphold over time. I, I'm for the benefit of the tape, I'm nodding here and <laughs> excitedly agreeing. Let's talk a little bit about theatre. Your main thesis for your master's was about the aesthetic ideals of immersion and reflection in LARP and in participatory theatre. So can you tell us a bit about that wider research piece? Yeah, I wanted, well, part of why I wanted to write about this subject was that also that I wanted to marry the theatre research and the LARP research a bit closer together, because I think that a lot of the research that has been uh, done historically has been done by digital games researchers, which I think creates some obvious blind spots, especially the ones that you're talking about, Simon, that this is a corporeal happening. Uh, we are there with our bodies, so it's not the same as using an avatar. So I wanted to explore what audience reception theories and participatory theories from theatre could tell us about LARP, and what our LARP practices could tell theatre about <laughs> their participatory experiences. So I looked into how we could understand distance and immersion in both fields to create this framework. And then I also looked at theatre pieces that try to incorporate LARP and LARP pieces that try to incorporate theatre to understand how those would work. So what's the difference between LARP and participatory theatre? I think that one of the big differences I've been a bit into in the practice is that the immersive theatre is a bit younger than the LARP. Not the participatory performances, of course, they go back, but the immersive theatre of today, like Punch Trunk, is a bit younger than the, the LARP practice. So anytime I speak to those audiences and practitioners about this, they become so excited about safety calibration because they they haven't gone there yet. So this, that has been the biggest uh, take for them. While they have been, maybe they are excited about the meta reflexivity, but they're not quite uh, there yet because most artworks also start out with being excited about the immersive possibilities of their medium. Uh, and while until they have exhausted those, they are less interested in uh, how to become meta reflexive. That's usually something that comes when you know your medium quite a bit, for example, or when you think that immersive components are becoming less interesting. <laughs> like, for example, theatre started to become more, use more meta theatre uh, when film made its entrance, because then film was better at being realistically immersive, so theatre needed to do something else. And then they could do meta theatre. This doubleness of reality and fiction and drew more on the fact that the audience was actually there and they could play with that, which film could not. This was a diversion, but... <laughs> When I looked at the, the different parts, the, like the, the hybrids, the mixed works, this was also when it became very clear to me that 
it's uh, a big difference between theater and art in the um, emphasis of the experience. Is this something I do for my inner experience or is this something I do for the audience to be moved? And some of the works that I studied suffered a bit from being unclear in what they were trying to achieve when it came to this. Like, uh, is it really a LARP if the last theater scene decides what happens to all the characters, for example? <laughs> and if the LARP characters won't play that, what, what actually happened in that storyline then? Yeah, so there were some obvious problems there in these hybrids because they hadn't really decided what they wanted to be. Yeah. <laughs> but you could argue that for Inside Hamlet, for instance, the theater scenes that they put into that art stare the players towards a certain mood and, so, and, and definitely decides where your character is going. Are you saying that Inside Hamlet is not a LARP? No, I think Inside Hamlet is a LARP that is pretty clear on using. I, I haven't played myself, but uh, I did interviews with players from Inside Hamlet for the uh, thesis. Uh, and I think it's a LARP that is pretty clear on that they want to use the theater scenes as enhancers for the LARP. So the point of the theater scenes is to aid LARP as an experience. Um, so I think that is just a kind of weighing of what experience is the most important for those who participate. So that will help you design <laughs> for it. And actually after the thesis, where they got some knowledge of how the players experience these theater scenes, they changed the design to better cater to the LARP uh, because that was the point of them. I'm fascinated by the hybrid between participatory theatre and LARP. My interest comes from audience agency. I would like in a punch-drunk performance for the outcome to be affected by the actions or inactions of the mask. Is there um, how? How, <laughs> how, how? How? That's my question. Do you think some sort of in-performance, meta-reflexive dramaturgy. How would I make a punch-drunk LARP? Yeah. <laughs> I think the most important thing for agency is transparency of how the game is supposed to work. Because agency has is not necessarily tied to deciding about the storyline. Uh, you can have very scripted LARPs that still have agency to the players to influence it in different ways. It can be different parts of the LARP that is open to participation and co-collaboration. But from the studies I did for this work, agency can be defined as the correspondence between your intention and the outcome. So agency comes from knowing the rules of the game so that you know that what you put into it, what it's likely to cause as an outcome. So if you're able to do whatever you like, at a LARP or a theater participatory piece, but it has no meaning, you would still lack agency. But maybe it's a highly scripted theater piece where you can contribute very specific fragments, but they feel important and you can decide how you contribute to them, then that you would still feel agency. So for the punch drunk participatory experience where you are actually co-creative and not just a moving audience, I think clear rules about how that participation becomes collaborative would be what you would need. And it's less important than if it's meta-reflexive or if it's diegetic. Is objective meta-reflection possible? In, in as much as, yes, everyone has their own subjective story, but now we're talking about the, the big piece, the, the overarching narrative. Is there a way of considering that from a zoomed out position? 
what I distinguish between is individual or shared meta reflection. You can meta reflect by yourself while you take a break or while you're playing your character, or you can meta reflect as a group and share meta reflections, such as in an act break where you would discuss the LARP together. Would that be the objective meta reflection? Yes, but, but I'm, I'm thinking about a, a showrunner, a game master in LARP terms, who isn't a participant who is trying to make sense of what is happening within this model. Yeah, the designer uh, or the showrunner could also meta-reflect, I would say, because for them to make sense of what is happening in the show, they would try to see the fiction uh, and try to understand where it's going. But I don't know if I would call that objective. Maybe some kind of a game master meta-reflection. Sorry that I've been a little bit absent. It's just that my kid came home from nursery and also there was a parcel. And I thought that would be an air purifier, but it was six donuts. <laughs> Congratulations. So we lost you at that point. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's like, oh my God, all I want to do is eat all of these six donuts. But I didn't. I <laughs> into my what are you working on now? Well, I, I work at a theatre called Unge Viken Teater, which creates place for uh, youth and children uh, in Viken Fylke in, in Norway. So my job then is to be like a, a counselor to all the playwrights and the directors that come through us and help them create the, the work that they want to create uh, and come closer to by having a feedback partner coming closer to what they actually want to achieve uh, and uh, how that actually communicates with the audience. So it's maybe quite far from my LARPing theory parts, but it, it does lead into each other a bit because the audience... Audience perception theories are always relevant, uh, and my understanding of wait, what does the audience actually come into this room with, and and how did they meet this work? You, you said that audience perception theory was useful. So can you tell us how? Well, the framework of meta reflection is largely built upon your audience perception studies about how the audience uh, meets the theatre work. That is also using real bodies to show a fiction uh, and how they can choose to see the actor or they can choose to see uh, the character as they see fit but usually they want to choose to see the character because it's more enjoyable to see the story and also i started out with brecht as an interesting uh, vantage point with how he wanted to use uh, meta theater specifically to put his place in context with reality and make the audience reflect upon reality so his if you call it meta-reflexive breaks in his performances, were used to draw the audience's real life into the place and like kind of ask them to reflect and react upon that. So yeah, I guess it, there are two, two sides of it. One is that many people exploring meta-reflexivity have been interested in this interactive relationship between the work and society uh, or the audience. And if you study audience perception, it's usually about understanding what the audience enters with and how they meet the piece so that you can enhance the piece to meet them better. So the article we've been talking about is available in the 2020 uh, Somakota book, What Do We Do When We Play? And it's also available on nordiclarp.org. We'll put the link in the details of this podcast. We just want to say thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. That was so much fun. I remember the first time that I came across your work, we were in Helsinki, right? That was, mm-hmm. It was exciting then. It's still exciting. Every time we drill into this, I think I'm getting a little more out of it. And 
yeah, I'm going to have to come up with a counter-argument to the knife on time. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for keeping the LARP theory alive. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. For the LARP Parati podcast, I've been Martina Swamlake. I've been Simon Brind. And I am Lillivine. Thank you so much. (laughs) 